welcome back everybody today we're going to be talking about the lost air job and my co-host today is sally kilpatrick before we get into the episode sally tell us how you got into leverage okay well my husband works for turner he worked for turner sports and so on the building there they have all of the different banners of the different shows and i can vaguely remember um seeing leverage and he had heard good things about it in the office and we're like oh oh so this is like mystery but it's also funny but so we started watching it and it's actually one of the few television shows i can tell you i have watched from start to finish like every episode um you're not a completist otherwise uh, no (laughs) no i another one i can think of off the top of my head recently was i did watch every single episode of how i met your mother okay uh but as much as i hated that finale I actually liked the leverage finale. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be really sad when we finally get to the leverage finale, because that means that this podcast will be yeah. over. But uh, it's, I mean, it was it yeah. was great watching this episode. It was I was like, oh, I remember watching that the first time. <laughs> it does. It brings back all these good memories. And I love being fooled again by what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's been a well, while I since I rewatched some of them. And you're just like, what? I How forgot did they that do part, that? Yeah. Like rereading Agatha Christie. I'm like, you should know this by now. <laughs> oh my gosh. But even if, like, uh, I saw the, the latest uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, I know, I know who done it. But, but who done it? Like, that's it's how so good, good the story is. Because you're still like, but, but was it really them? And I also saw the recent, uh, and then there were none. And I did not remember. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's really good because uh, Aiden, Aiden Turner's in it. Oh, okay. Um, and Sam Neill, I think. Uh, and a lot of other excellent people. But Aiden Turner walks around in a towel. So that's very nice. Oh, well, okay. That highly recommend. <laughs> but yeah, I know. Yeah, so just like one of those, you're just... Every time something happens, even if you're like ready for it to happen, it's a pleasant it's, surprise. It's so well constructed, and and some might even say formulaic, but it's not. It is, but it isn't. It just works so well. Yeah, tropes work for a reason. Like they're yeah. tropes. They, yeah. They're not. They don't have to be cliche, but you want these tropes. You want that build up, and you want that reward. The Lost Air Job aired on September 9th, mm-hmm. two thousand nine. So nine nine nine. But that's actually my nephew's birthday. Oh. And two episodes ago, it aired on my dad's birthday. So <laughs> everything is just related to my family. This podcast was meant to be. Uh, <laughs> it was written by Chris Downey, and it's been a while since he wrote uh, one of the episodes. And it was directed by Peter Winther, who I usually look up uh, other things that the directors have done. But he hasn't done a whole bunch. He's done a lot of, like, TV movies and stuff. And he did one of the librarians, the librarian movies. Okay. So he obviously knew John Rogers. One of the movies, not the show. Not the show, but yeah. I can't remember which one. Sorry. Y'all have to look it up on IMDb. That's what IMDb is for. Exactly. I can't do all the work for y'all. And the executive producers, as always, John Rogers and Chris Downey. So we open up with a a woman sneaking into a hospital room to talk to an old man. Uh, We find out his name is Mr. Mr. Kimball, and she identifies herself as Ruth, who works with this charity that he helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she tries to show him some photos of kids that they've helped with their nonprofit work. But he's totally out of it, and he just keeps calling her Gigi. Uh, and she tries to tell him that his lawyer is keeping people away from him. And then, of course, that cues the lawyer opening up the door. 
which I guess this penthouse hospital room has two entrances. Oh, it was in. like, I, I remember I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, why am I not rewatching this show rather than some of the other stuff? Because it's like, he's in a wing named after him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, we're going to remove you. And she says, call the police. And he says, okay. And then the guy just like pulls his lapel over. Oh, no. <laughs> Here's my... Here's my pocket cop. Like <laughs> I've always got him. Excellent dialogue, which I just mangled right here. But you know, it was still good. Yeah. Well, it's dialogue and those like physical beats where she's like, call a cop. Like, and and she just turns from this really sweet, your your lawyer's hiding you from people. So, you know, don't mess with me. Yeah, it's kind of snooty. Yes. So the the cop gets her out of there. And then we have this cut to, I really like that we don't have the um, the intro, like the theme song in this one with the rich people take what they want. Oh, yeah. was missing for my my version anyways. Do they do that normally? Or I figured maybe it was because I bought it from Amazon. Um, it So I'm watching them on the DVDs and it was on one recently. I can't remember if it was the last one. But in the commentary, they were complaining about the fact that they had to put it in. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, it's just so obvious. It has to explains everything. But it's missing from this one. So it cuts straight to Sophie looking out of a window. And we, we hear the chimes from Big Ben, which, you know, obviously places her in London. Mm-hmm. And she's in this great uh, red kimono with chopsticks in her hair. Yeah, the chopsticks make it. <laughs> oh, yes. And she's got it's got like the, the red silk wallpaper, too. Oh yeah, and, and and then there's a picture of the Eiffel Tower. I'm like, Sophie, where are you? Like, commit to a commit to a theme. Very Auntie Mays. I don't know. It's just <laughs> Sophie would love that comparison. I, I think she's like, yes, that's who I aspire to be. <laughs> um, and she does this great. Gina Bellman's so good at this artful turn when she like turns because somebody knocks on the door. And she's holding the the full sleeve of her kimono and she holds it at just the perfect angle that you cannot see her belly bump, her baby bump. Because because she's, she's a boss. Yeah. So yeah, she's so she's obviously very much showing. You know, and, that's uh, another reason why we started watching leverage, is we had been watching coupling. Oh, okay. See, I haven't met people who've come into it from coupling. Adele got into it. She loved the um well, Timothy Hutton was in um, that other show that I can't think of the name of right now. Well, we had watched, a, this is all coming back to me now, but no, we had watched the first two seasons of Coupling. And then we had also watched Angel, where um, Christian Kane was a character in Angel. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, well, there are two actors we already know we like. Let's jump on in. Yeah, oh, I can trust this. Yeah, I watched Angel but I didn't like that character. In Angel oh, no. I right? mean, he's a jerk. And I'm like, mm. it's crazy. But, yeah. but anyway, then you, you fall in love with no, no, I love this. Do not okay. worry. I love, right. I love going off on tangents. Um, but yeah, no, you, what was his name on Angel? Oh, gosh. He's not Ashley. Leslie. It was a girl him? name. Oh, my gosh. Girl name. Lindsay. 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 Yes. Yeah, so you don't like Lindsay. Heart. That much I remember. Yes. But you immediately immediately like fall for Elliot you're like yes I like this gruff guy yes he's always oh the best disarming was the, guns the episode where he's in the kitchen 
And that's the first time I think <laughs> we've really seen him in that element. And he's like shooing everybody out of the kitchen. Yes, the wedding job. Ah, oh, it's so good. And then he kills he kills the guy with appetizers. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, what? Like, I'm not a monster. I can cook. Yeah. Well, and like Gina Bellman, it's very similarly, the character she played on Coupling, completely different from Sophie Devereaux. Yeah. Well, the first time I ever saw Timothy Hutton in a movie was French Kiss with Meg Ryan. And he plays her like asshole fiance who leaves uh, her. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, I hate this man. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Nate Ford, you you complicated creature. I love you. I just want to take care of you. And then Beth Reesgraff and Aldous Hodge were complete unknowns to me. They were so. unknown to me, but I love them. Yes. Really. Um, yeah, I'm generally wavering between is my favorite character Hardison or Elliot? Hardison or Elliot? Those are my two faves. It's Hardison. <laughs> I love I love Elliot, but Hardison. Every now and then, every now and then, something will swing Elliot's way. But yeah, that's I, why I love the I love the trio. That's who I ship. I ship the OT three. <laughs> so it's it's Hardison, Parker, and Elliot, Elliot and yeah. they're perfect together. Yes. So we've said someone knocked on the door and, and she's masterfully used her kimono. <laughs> so good. She hides the baby butt. The choreography. <laughs> uh, and she goes over, she checks the peephole and she sees that it's Nate and she is freaking out and she asks, who's dead? Uh, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no one's dead. He just wants her to come home. And and then they have this like super, there's a lot of awkward conversations in this episode. Yes. This awkward conversation, like, do you, they need me to come back or do you need me to come back? And he. He doesn't answer. He's <laughs> like, we have a client coming. You'll be there, right? I'm yeah. like, son, that is no way to talk to her. <laughs> and he knows it too. Because he, he can't. Like, the last time they talked on the phone, he like. Uh, 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 couldn't even say words and I am maybe not as emotionally intelligent as I should be watching this show but I don't know what she wants to hear either like does she I don't think she wants to be a crutch for him so if he's asking her to come back because he needs her maybe I'm more like Nate Ford than I am like uh Sonia Devereaux but he doesn't want her to be a crutch like she does she want him to need her that way the 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 beauty of that particular conversation is she wants him to need her but she doesn't want him to need her as the crutch she wants him to need her as well once you've watched the whole series as a, as a love interest yeah so that there's enough ambiguity there that either way he answers that question she could still say no mm-hmm. or and he- I yeah, and I think you see on her face that she doesn't know exactly what the answer is that she wants to hear, which like blows my mind because I'm like, wait, am I supposed to know? Because so many times on a TV show, it's you're smarter than the character, right? You know what they're going to say. You can you can call the emotional beats, but this one, I'm still like, what do you want from me, Sophie? She's she's just that good. Yeah, that's really good. So he gives her a ticket and says he'll be there tomorrow. She does not show up. Um, I made a note. Say please, maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> when trying to convince a woman to come back across the ocean, Perhaps, for a, please. For a ten a.m. a ten a.m. meeting. Yeah, maybe please would help. <laughs> he did wear a nice suit. This is true. This Nate is true. was very cleaned up this episode. He's yes. he's been doing pretty well on that front. For now. 
<laughs> for now. Oh, knock on wood. Knock on wood, like I'm, that's going to change anything <laughs> this 10-year-old TV show. <laughs> so instead of Sophie showing up for the meeting the next day, Jerry Ryan walks into the bar, which sounds like a great setup for a, a great joke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it'd be like a Star Trek joke or what. I'm but thinking it would be. It'd be great. She orders like a seven of nine. Yes. Like a seven and seven. Yeah. Um, so she introduces herself as Ruth's lawyer, who is going to be watching them like a hawk every step of the way to make sure that her client gets justice. Mm-hmm. And she's so pure and she's so idealistic and naive and she's lovely. Um, and she also informs Nate that Kimball has since passed away. And and then Ruth Ruth comes in a little later, and she's she's brought these blue irises for his grave, mm-hmm. which is which is really great. And we get to go back to that later. Yep, that's one of those things that I love. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so she explains that she runs a charity uh, finding foster kids permanent homes and adoptions. Mm-hmm. And Kimball approached her a few years ago and said he wanted to help. She thought he'd just be like a normal rich dude and write a check and be done with it but he kept writing checks and i guess he kept being like more hands-on involved and nate says you know that's not uncommon for rich men who are getting older they want to feel like you know they've repented for the things they've done wrong in the past and this dude has a lot to repent for we find out about yeah yeah and as he got sick and older she would visit him at the hospital and show him pictures of the kids they'd helped and it really cheered him up and he told her that he'd rejected his will to leave everything to her charity. And, and then the lawyer cut her, her and everybody else off, and nobody has seen this version of the will. So Nate, of course, says, you know, will or no will, we're going to make sure that Mr. Kimball's yep. wishes are followed. Although my thing was, wait a minute, what if Ruth's lying? But okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> not how this show works. We're going to have to suspend that disbelief. <laughs> You can't be suspicious of the clients. Well, I, I mean, that's not how the first episode started or anything. <laughs> I think that's 2018, Sally. I think 20, 2009, Sally was, you know, never questioned. <laughs> you were, you were terrible. You were idealistic and naive, and we all just thought the best of everybody. Back in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> but 2018, you're terrible at the end of the episode. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> the evolution of terracol yes Yes. Uh, so i put then kimball and terracol have a talk kimball's dead there's no talking (laughs) he's marley he was dead to begin with um nate and tara have a talk she's really virtuous like we said she calls him a high-tech vigilante and then he like quips like oh i like that i should put that on my business card i'm like i want to put that on my business card but i don't think nate should put it i think hardison should Nate is not high tech. He couldn't even use Hardison's computer in the last episode. I don't think he can even turn on the TVs in the Batcave. But speaking of the Batcave, she demands access and uh, either she's in or she she and Ruth are going to walk. And Hardison gets to make a Vicky Vale Batman joke. Which is great. And like nobody appreciates it. Because nobody ever appreciates. I know, me too. I'm like, ah! The other thing was the great typical leverage cut of um, Nate going, they're going to hate this immediately to Elliot. I hate this. Yes. <laughs> Glorious. And then immediately following that, whoa, whoa, you don't bring Vicki Vale into the Batcave. 
<laughs> it's just like these are the things we love about this show. Yeah. And um, and then Parker saying, Sophie wouldn't approve of this, call her. Yes. Uh, we're not gonna call Sophie. Oh, we're yeah. not, are we? We can't <laughs> just call her all the time. Artisan, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't talk to her, but you can have secret meetings. Yeah, what? And- what? Oh, who wants to play where's Waldo? <laughs> <laughs> that whole bit with uh Elliot's like, oh, you know how it is when you you book a flight the same day, you've got to like bounce around all the airports. <laughs> and they're just having such a great time, like razzing him. And he's sitting on the the stool, and I love they've got the the screens behind him, and he's kind of yeah. centered, and he keeps like looking over each shoulder to see like his his deeds played <laughs> out over his shoulders. And he just is so chagrined. He's like, okay, yeah. Okay, can we turn that off now? <laughs> right, but she, and then, then it's another awkward conversation. He's like, she's not coming back. I asked her and she wouldn't do it. And it's just like some dad telling his kids that mommy might not come back. I know. Just we so went, awkward. And they're like, oh, so funny to, oh, sad. Yeah. Which is another great leverage thing. They can yeah, yeah. bounce back and forth like that really well. So they get back to, you know, the order at hand and, uh, Nate tells Hardison to do a background check on Tara to make sure, you know, she's up legit. to snuff and that she's legit and she should come along. And everyone like rolls their eyes because they feel like, oh yeah, I don't want her to come. Like, <laughs> I don't know. She can't play in our sandbox. Uh, so then we find out more about Bennett Kimball and why he probably really needed to give he, a lot of money to charity. <laughs> he made his fortune the old-fashioned way. Polluting, union breaking. I can't remember beyond that. <laughs> no, it was just like this nice laundry list of every awful thing you could do. Like, you know, hookers paying off pimps and the whole thing. Car wrecks, like drunk driving, just all, all sorts of bad things. But they've never heard about him because he has like the best lawyer ever who has done all sorts of awful things to get his client off, off the hook. And his name is Peter Blanchard, which... I went to school with a Philip Blanchard. And so I kept having to say, it's Peter, it's <laughs> yeah. not Philip. Yeah. It's Peter. Uh, and because of all this, he is the sole beneficiary of Kimball's will, um, as per the, the will that I'm sure he drew up himself. And uh, so he's not exactly looking forward to kind of trying this, this case in probate court because that's his money. He's not going to let it go some charity. And so they decide, you know, he's the keeper of all of Kimball's secrets. So what they're going to do is they're going to get those secrets out. They're going to find the biggest, scariest, boniest skeleton in his closet um, and make him run for the hills. All with a chaperone. Clearly. <laughs> yes. Uh, the yeah. it's, it's like when they have Maggie on the job with them. Oh, yeah. You know, who's like, what? Why would... You do that, but Maggie's much more ready to punch somebody in the face if they need it than than this lawyer. I have a note here before we go to the prison. It's Elliot's luscious locks distracted me. <laughs> There's a couple really good like Elliot's hair in this scene. Yeah. In this this episode. <laughs> anyway, yes. They've they've really been conditioning them well in this season, I think. Yeah. Man, you he also like wears several great sets of sunglasses. Oh, that's true. And the I next one, like one of them, but I'm getting ahead of myself. He doesn't, but I, I couldn't see what the problem was. It was too shady. I, I didn't either. I was like, they look almost exactly like the 
ones you had on earlier, dude. <laughs> but Parker's like, ooh, yeah, sorry. Which is such a cool thing. Like, do you ever, when you're watching it and they pull like one of those really easy heists where they just like, you know, steal something really quick? Or do you ever go like, I want to try that. <laughs> I want to just like bump into a table at a street fair and right. steal something. I, 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 I wouldn't ever. Because I know me at this point. It would end badly. But I love to watch other people do it. Yeah. I love to watch them do it. It's, it's that like, <laughs> that reptile part of your brain. Oh, that when you're like on the edge of a cliff, it's like, well, what if I just jumped? Light. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what if I just bumped this table and swiped whatever I could? <laughs> no, it, I, it, it would go, go all over the floor. I'd turn around and bring it back. Yeah. I'd be a horrible criminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't even. I they accident someone accidentally sent me a two hundred dollar purse. It was not what I ordered, mm-hmm. and I couldn't even keep the two hundred dollar purse. I'm like, <laughs> we have to talk. Um, you have sent me the wrong order. <laughs> I wanted the ten dollar purse. Leather. Oh my gosh! But no. Oh, you're like just huffing it, and then like, okay, package Let it. My conscience send it off. That's good. Well. No, this is good because that means you'll never have to go to this prison that we're about to go visit. That's good. And even though it's a minimum security prison, did you see their clothes? They were hideous. I don't want to be... strikes and you're out, though. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond these prison walls or prison shrubs. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. And I just love that poking fun at the, you know, what CEOs, where they go to pay for their... Yes. awful crimes and we've had that a couple times in the season and the very godparents job the guy's just under house arrest in his penthouse apartment in the order 23 job the guy's like oh yeah i'm gonna go play golf at my like <laughs> resort jail and <laughs> it's just like uh the prison system definitely needs to be reformed yep yep yeah, so they're outside this minimum security prison and Hardison and Elliot see Tara for the first time and they straight up call her a sexy librarian, which is, as a librarian, um, is both like a beloved stereotype and like a hated stereotype at the I same time. It's, it's Because, yes, I'm quite sexy, but why are you surprised? Exactly. <laughs> what is your damage? What? Yeah. I mean, they behave very well when they are actually talking to her. So that's good, at least. Um, And she's so sweet. She's just like, hi, when she gets out of the car. Um, So they're going to, uh, well, not break into this prison, but they're going to go undercover at this prison where Kimball's old business partner is staying, I wrote, (laughs) because it's basically just a resort. He's taking cooking classes. It's not. Yeah, this is not hard labor. He's not breaking rocks somewhere um (laughs) i was like what do they do what do they do in gulags um so they want info on this fifty thousand dollars that he paid to a company in vegas and they think it was the payment for a hit uh and tara's like oh no why don't we just go talk to orson and if we tell him where we're coming from i'm sure he'll you know want to help out and he'll tell us everything and then it does the truth mr ford that's right and she even like does the like the little righteous finger the best lie like and he's like mm, okay sure okay. We'll and, and then quick quick cut to just pj orson just <laughs> laughing in their faces just hist- like just like all these like teeth in the, in the camera really not good teeth it was distracting no. 
But yeah, yeah laughing yeah. with the teeth. He should have, I'm like, well, this is 2009. I don't think veneers were as popular, but I'm like, that's a rich man. He should have better teeth than that. <laughs> He has a free dentist. He needs to go get that taken care of. Uh, so, uh, you know, he leaves and she's very nonplus. Like, but why wouldn't he do what I asked him to do? So Nate is just like casually leaning against this wall and he gives everybody their marching orders. And it's pretty sexy how he does it too. Because then, then he's like, and then I'm going to go turn into an awful lawyer. You can come watch if you want. <laughs> okay. I do love when Nate is like super confident. That is, um, yeah. And then, then we see Nate in this like atrocious blue suit. Oh my and, gosh! And this he's he's Jimmy Papadopoulos, uh, which is <laughs> which is apparently based on a character uh, that Rockford played in Rockford Files. Oh, okay. Uh, Jimmy Joe Meeks or something like that, and or Billy Joe Meeks. Some so he like he plays like a bumpkiny lawyer, and then all of a sudden you know when it counts he like pulls it out yeah so uh so nate becomes jimmy papadopoulos and he gets blanchard's attention by wearing the loudest colors and having the loudest voice (laughs) (laughs) and then we have hardison and elliot as guards and hardison and elliot on a con is the best i well i just have Elliot plus Hardison equals, and I have the little smiley face with hard eyes. <laughs> yes. Like the best bromance. The two of them carrying on. and <laughs> He's Bagley. I'm Hill. <laughs> and then Hardison pretending he has post-PTSD from the last gig. <laughs> He's like, maximum security. He said maximum security. <laughs> oh, man. And, <clears throat> and it's like the quintessential Hardison, like, overplaying everything. Oh, yeah. Which got him into trouble in the very last episode. Like, it just, you know, he got yeah. screwed all of them over. But he can't. He cannot yeah. dial it back. He subtlety is never his strong point. No. Um, and they're they're being given a tour of this minimum security prison by like the sweetest man in the world. <laughs> this poor guy. He's so oh. cute. And like Orson's like, I like your haircut. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> He is so clearly out of his element. I mean, he's just, oh, I hope they send him to maximum security. He needs to like go work at a daycare. Like, I mean, daycares are not unlike minimum security prisons, but (laughs) he's much better off. (laughs) So they they distract uh, Orson and Elliot plants a shiv on him, which comes back a little later. Uh, then Parker's doing her favorite thing, which is crawling through an air duct. I did. I have her natural habitat. Parker in her natural habitat and air vent. Yes. I mean, those are like her little safe spaces. I'm sure. I bet she just like sleeps in them. It would not sleep. Like right. at Nate's house. I'm sure she's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? People are too much. I need to go introvert. And she just oh, like slides, slides backward into... It's like, it's very Eugene Victor Toombs from The X Files. But in a nicer way, that is not going to eat your liver. She would never. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I just compared her to like the creepiest 
monster ever. Well, ironically, that's the point where I also made the note, man, this is a truly beautiful cast. I mean, they're all so pretty. They are. And they like, she's lit so well in this like tiny little. Oh yeah. And the little, little um, braid over one shoulder and Mm -hmm. the off the shoulder. Okay. This bothered me sometimes logistically clothes in as a woman, logistically, the clothes bother me in, in shows made by men. She's like crawling through on her stomach this little thing but so she's already gonna wear something that's off the shoulder i'm like you're just gonna lose your shirt as you're crawling through like it's gone goodbye gonna be like snagging on things yeah they don't think about these things no and she's very tiny and it's a very large vent i don't know how big they are normally uh but yeah we can't get caught up on these things because then we'll spend three hours talking about them i know oops yeah, so she's using a little pinhole camera and a phone that you would not think could use a camera like that because we remember these phones. They had very crappy cameras on them. Yeah. At the time, we thought they were great, but now we know better. Um, and she's watching an assistant put something in a safe. So that comes, you know, that's where we're going to find that skeleton that we were talking about. Uh, and then uh, Elliot and Harden trigger this search of Orson's <laughs> self and then his cell uh, and it's great because they're playing chess and they're just like bantering and Hardison has his orange soda soda and, <laughs> and, then, and then the shiv comes out and Hardison overdoes it Hardison like oh my gosh switch. <laughs> you're gonna cut my head off you're a leader of the Aryan nation the Mexican cartels and I mean, he goes through every possible like subgroup that could be there, but but the Aryan Nation did get my attention, which was good because that came up later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, he Orson doesn't really fit into the other no <laughs> <laughs> the other gangs you mentioned. He, he does look very Aryan. Yes, uh, and I I love before they go off to search his cell when <laughs> they've all left and he's yelling at the other guard he was like he threatened to kill me over an omelet two eggs and a slice of gummit cheese <laughs> but he says like gummit cheese gummit yes oh he's so good he's so good i don't think like if i had the comms in and i heard hardison I just would- riffing i would not be able to do anything else no. but just die from where i <laughs> Giggle snorting. <laughs> like, what's going on in the air? Like echoing everywhere, just the cackling. Just like, oh gosh. And then Ellie, this is why- on a powder keg, son. <laughs> and he says, when was the last time you you checked his cell? And he's like, his cell? Do you mean his bunk? No. <laughs> this isn't camp. It's, it's prison. But then they, they find the most obvious of... Aryan nation Nazi paraphernalia, a like portrait of Hitler and a straight up Nazi armband. (laughs) And which, I mean, I think that if PJ Orson was in the Aryan nation, he would go like old school because he's old. Like he's not, I don't think he's going to get like a neck tattoo. Yeah. But I also loved that the stuff was hidden in the back of a framed photo of a yacht. Of course. 
<laughs> this man doesn't have any loved ones. He just well, has a picture of his yacht. Leave me in minimum security. I don't have any ex-wives bothering me for money. That's true. So, but loves the yacht more. Loves the yacht and not having to share it with his ex-wives. Ooh, he's and- a winner. He is. And then he yells as if we don't know that he's a winner. I'm not in a prison gang. I'm in the Rotary Club. <laughs> that's so good. And so that's two strikes, right? The shit was one. The, the evidence is two. So he's like, I don't want to go to maximum security. And Hardison says, oh, I better tell my son that I'm daddy won't be home. Little Lamond, which is the name of the the holding uh-huh. company that he paid the 50000 to. And he's, you know, he cottons on to the fact that he's being, you know, extorted. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so he breaks and he tells them that the money went to a George Gilbert. And they had to keep it to themselves because the mob was involved. Ah. Dun, dun, dun. And then we get to see Nate in my favorite outfit. His, oh. It's glorious. I wrote, Nate is wearing the most glorious goldenrod suit. That's like one of my favorite colors, like no joke. I wear I have yellow pants on right now. But you weren't mad about him tearing the pages out of the book? I was like, Nate, stop. what are you doing? Don't abuse the book. The book um, didn't do anything. I would be, but it's such a great scene because he's up on this ladder waiting for Blanchard to come in. And Blanchard comes in and he's reading a paper, and then he like looks up and does a double take because there's someone in his friend and Nate just like turning and looking at him and like unapologetically ripping the pages out of this gold leaf book and then just like he's like Jimmy Papa Douglas and he just slides them into his chair oh. it's so good which I mean that would be a crummy lawyer thing to do yes I it's... Have my own books let me tear out these few pages on tort reform or whatever exactly these look like they'd be helpful later <laughs> I won't have to wikipedia them uh yeah. I don't know. I thought it should hurt me. I don't know. I have a weird, like, I think books are precious and also not precious. Uh, yes. So, yeah, like a book is a physical thing and it can be. Re- I My car also, I'm turning my car into an art car and it's covered in pages of books uh, that oh, are like sweet. decoupaged on. Well, so I think- obviously. Obviously, I don't mind tearing pages out of books. I did do Mod Podge for, uh, I was doing bookmarks or something. And it was even worse, Mm -hmm. like pages out of hymnals. Oh. Well, it's not like they were pages out of the Bible. This is true. No, no, they were not pages out of a Bible. (laughs) So, I mean, I think a hymnal. But then it's, you know, it's taking on a new shape and it's being, it's it's living again in a different way. Managed to laminate it. So, you know, it's. And now it's one, yeah. That's perfect. I love that. Like, I love repurposing books. I do not think Jimmy Papadopoulos was repurposing books in the no. right way, but it was Although, such a great introduction. If Nate had done decoupage later, I would have been amused. <laughs> I'm going to add that to the list of things that I want in my like spin off web series. Oh, excellent. Yes. Like, there's so many little things behind the scenes that I want to know what they do. Like after the first episode, in between the first and second episodes, it's really obvious that Nate and Hardison have spent a lot of time together setting up the Leverage headquarters. And I want to know. Well, I want to know everything that happened in those months. Yeah. Well, and that that does remind me one of my favorite episodes was the one where Hardison was making the antique book. (laughs) 
I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen that in years, but it's still with me because I just adored it. Him doing the tea bags and the whole He's got the hair dryer. And then losing his mind when people didn't appreciate the fact that it had to be sewn and not glued in the whole thing. And it was like urine involved. There was like something like really gross involved that he had to do to make this book as authentic as possible. And they were just like, ugh. And he was like, stop it. <laughs> you and, I mean, went through with this book. Yeah, that's his refrain. Like, y'all don't appreciate all the things that I do. And he does so much yes um okay so, so georgia gilbert oh yeah we, we don't know about georgia yet so hardison isn't finding anything about george yes. and and nate is like having to stall and then he does figure out that it's it's not george it's georgia uh, and she was a stripper who moved to vegas in 1980 which is the the time in which this person was paid off mm-hmm so going off complete instinct, uh, Nate intuits that she was paid off because Kimball wanted to marry her. And why would he want to marry this stripper above all the other strippers? She was pregnant. Braggers. So Blanchard got rid of her without telling Kimball why. Uh, Sorry, which, I have to head to my notes, but carry on. <laughs> what did you have? Oh, uh, well, I've got the... Um, he's got Hardison. Was she pregnant? How do I know? I don't even have her social security number. Give me five seconds. And I'm like, it's that lovely Sherlock kind of Sherlock Holmes logic. But no, it's the line after that. We'll get there. Carry on. Yes. I love like Parker listening because this is, you know, what we were saying about I wouldn't be able to do my job if I was on the comms because I'd always be like, oh my God, what the hell did Nate just say? And, and that's Parker in this scene. Like she probably could have opened that safe by now but she was like watching a soap opera unfold and he pregnant safe yes safe <laughs> is it safe to bring her out she's like oh oh that's me so yeah so he, he brings her in to uh act as the the long lost daughter but it's very obviously just being like this lady wants a payout just pay her uh and doesn't even care if blanchard really thinks that it's actually her and then when when Blanchard asks what she was doing out there, they just, they're honest. She was stealing. It's just what she does. She loves meth. <laughs> I do. I love meth. That was the line that I saw and remembered. I do. I love meth. <laughs> and she's so good. Like, for a second, you're like, I think you probably do love meth. Like, you skinny little blonde lady. She's just like, I love meth. I do. They're getting ready. Right she's like, we're going to get meth? <laughs> yes, we're going to go get you some meth. Like, <laughs> just so good. So good. But but in the end, she's most annoyed because she was one digit away from breaking into the safe. Um, and now Hardison has had like 30 seconds. So he's been able to come up with all this info on Georgia Gilbert. Uh, and so we get a whole bunch of background on her. She failed her driver's test three times. She graduated from St. Mary's. She was a size six. She's colorblind, all this stuff. And she was actually pregnant mm -hmm. because Nate is, like you said, he is very Holmesian or very Sherlockian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How'd you know it was a girl? Well, that part was a guess. This <laughs> <laughs> and Ellie is just like, yeah, just good. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> their faces. I love all their faces so much. 
And you know, Parker's over there just like kind of thinks he's a wizard. <laughs> yeah. She thought she thought Sophie was actually still dead. She thinks Nate's a wizard. It's just, <laughs> she she believes all the conspiracy theories now. This season has really screwed poor Parker up some more. They, you know, they're going to continue with this, trying to get this payout for Parker as the daughter, but they can't fake Par- Parker's DNA, mm-hmm. which when I was listening, listening to the commentary, they were saying like two weeks after this episode aired, this news report came out that people could fake DNA now. And they were like, <laughs> we should have gone with that. Um, so but I like this better because now they have to find a way to get him to not want to have them take a DNA a DNA test. Mm-hmm. So they send in like, you know, it's the best way to con this guy is going to be to send in an honest person. So they send in Tara. And since Hardison has linked one of Parker's aliases with all of these like, you know, drug convictions and, yeah. and, and like a bad criminal record, he's linked that to the, the case number for the, this baby's adoption. When Blanchard sees it, he's fooled. And so is his cop friend. And he's like, okay, maybe we should think about this payout because it's, this DNA is going to come back positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tara's like, no, we're not going to do a payout. And we're prepared to fight in court for years if we have to. And he's like, what? No. I want my money. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, am, I, I, want, I want to enjoy this money while I still can. Uh, and so Blanchard decides, well, we can't have this woman show up for this hearing. So he sends out his cop minion to take take them out. And they arrange a, a meeting so they can pay off Parker. Uh, and instead, the cop dude has like a sniper rifle. That he probably just checked out from the police to precinct or whatever. Because uh, does this man not actually go to work? I, he's just always with Blanchard. I, do we really know he's a cop? Yes, because later the fact that he's a cop, oh, yeah, 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 he works yeah. against Blanchard. But I mean, but yeah, really, Boston, but like work? Boston cops, <laughs> aren't they like busy? Have like a reputation for <laughs> yes, busy. They should be busy, but you know, <laughs> corrupt. I don't know. I saw The Departed, uh, <laughs> which my my best friend Holly, who was on an episode, she we saw The Departed together because she loves Scorsese, and at the end. She was so angry <laughs> and, and her, like her call to arms when we left was, I refuse to live in a world where Alec Baldwin lives. <laughs> like, everyone else dies in the movie, <laughs> but Alec Baldwin, who she hates lived. And she was oh, so incensed. But that's a great rallying cry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there is a dirty cop with a sniper trained on Parker and Elliot doing his job of like checking the perimeter and making sure there's nothing's going to go wrong. He sees this cop and he, like the badass that he is, picks up a rock yeah. and yes, and throws it at him like David and Goliath style. Yes. Not completely, but um, like Jose Altuve, <laughs> <laughs> excellent baseball player, throws it at him and and hits him in the face. And and this whole scene of him doing the rock was actually Christian Kane's idea. Really? Uh, yeah, because they had been playing softball or baseball, and he had been playing shortstop, and he'd been doing really well. And so when they were talking about the scene, he was like, "Okay, 
I'm really good at this. Like, let me just pick up a rock and I'll just throw it. And he did it and he, it was all in one take and he kept it in frame. And so wow. they used that. I don't know if the rock that he threw is the one that hit the guy. No, but I'm going to, I'm going to guess no, because movie magic. Yeah. But, but so I'm sure he could have to keep it in the frame to just throw it is. Yeah. I thought that was pretty, that, that was pretty badass. Just yeah. pick up a rock and. <laughs> hey, like any, not any port in a storm, but you know, he's, he uses what's at his disposal. He didn't have a gun. Well, Ellie doesn't like to them. start with. That's true. <laughs> he ended the scene with one. <laughs> yeah. And so he did something that I don't think we've seen Elliot do in a while, which is when he gets the gun, he disarms it. He like, you know, mm-hmm. gets the, takes the, the cartridge or whatever out of it. Um, but then he does something else that he doesn't very often do, which is leave someone he's fighting conscious. Which was odd. It's very odd. And and he says later he doesn't want to hit a cop. Uh, and this guy is a cop. But it's he obviously has to do it for this next bit to work. Yeah. But at the time, I'm just like, why is this man not unconscious and or dead in the gravel? Yeah, that's that happened in the writer's room. They're like, uh... Yeah, can have Elliot knock the guy completely out because we need him in a few for this really cool idea we have. With maybe a different actor cast as his character would make a little more sense, but this guy's like middle-aged and like softening. Like he knows how to fight, obviously, because he can kind of hold his own, but there's no way Elliot's like they're on a level playing field. No. But he like makes a move to go towards the gun. He's like, you want this back? And he's like, no. And he runs off and he's like, Khakis. (laughs) Khakis. <laughs> khakis. <laughs> um, so he shows back up and he's like, oh, they got away. And Blanchard's like, okay, well, and he takes a gun from one of his other lackeys and then just shoots him in the thigh and says, okay, call that in. The girl did it and put an APB out for her so that she can't make it to the courtroom because they're all going to try to get back there to prove that she's the daughter. Um, and then they do their fun sunglasses stealing thing. Uh, Which was fun. Yes. If you've ever stolen sunglasses this way, please let me know. Uh, did it work for you? Did you go to jail? Uh, <laughs> and uh, so they're on the run from the police pretty quickly because there's a, there's an actual picture of Parker out there uh, circulating. Uh, with Artisan, the how's the description? <laughs> Sirens. <laughs> oh, never mind. We know. <laughs> And uh, so Hardison now has to buy them time in the courthouse. And I think this is the same courthouse that they used in the Order 23 job, which was technically supposed to be in another city. It did uh, familiar. Yeah. This one has more security because in that episode, a guy actually successfully brings a gun into the courtroom. But in the commentary, they were saying that Portland and a lot of places have all these like beautiful old courthouses that were built, you know, for like the WPA and everything. And they're like mm-hmm. built in the twenties and they're gorgeous. And then they were just like, ah, you know what? We're going to build these ugly cinder block things with yeah. no windows. And like, these will be our courthouses. <laughs> and it's- so all these things are empty. And the good thing is we can put whole court dramas in them, I guess. So then when you actually have to go to court, you're like, you know, oh, you're like, God, wait a minute. did I fall back into the 80s? Is yes. Carpet and paneling. What's going <laughs> on? What happened to the marble floor? Yes. Where, where's the wood paneling? I need some art deco in here. Yeah. But no. Ugh. 
So gross. Or even like when you go into older court buildings and you're like, oh, this is from the like an older era. But then the last time it was redone was like 1976. Yeah. And everything's like orange. Ugh, what an no. Just anything that was redone in the 60s or 70s ought to be redone again immediately. Yes. So Hardison has to has to buy them some time. So he plants all of his keys and something wrapped in foil on Blanchard. Uh-huh. Just enough stuff to get him strip and cavity searched. It was it was hilarious. It's great. Because like he goes through the one time, he's like, these aren't my keys. And he goes the second time and he's like screaming in frustration. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I just might as well just get naked. And the, <laughs> the security guards, like little tiny micro reaction to that was so <laughs> perfect it was so real like as someone who works in a public library and people just say crazy things and you're trying to keep a professional face but you like kind of look over at your coworker and you're like the fuck <laughs> please don't please stop sir yeah, like no i don't want you to take your clothes off just <laughs> you know how this works um and then they find the package in his uh, briefcase and all the sirens go off and all the guns get pointed at him and he's like yelling. So, but he does finally get through security um, and is ready to start without uh, Nate's character. But Nate does rush in late and uh, Tara's there waiting and she's so cute. Like when he calls her on the phone, she's like, I hope this works, Mr. Ford, because... I don't think we have a case. And she's so scared and tremulous. And you're like, oh no. But he runs in after uh, she's, Ruth has been questioned by both Tara and Blanchard. And he comes in and Tara says, you can't fake being a lawyer in a courtroom. And he's like, watch me. And I'm going to be a doctor too. (laughs) Later I'm going to practice medicine. (laughs) Yes, that's it. And you know he thought of all of this like on his run over to them. That's the crazy part. That's the craziest part because he checks in with Elliot and says, you know, how are the entrances? And Elliot says they're all covered and Parker's trying to find another way in. And he says, no, I don't want you to go to the courtroom. Like, I need you to do something else. So he's already at that point has figured out. He's already figured it out when he tells her to go do something else. And I'm like, I want to write these kinds of stories. <laughs> But it would take me a month to come up with what that character came up with in two minutes. (laughs) Right. But I mean, these writers have the the advantage of having their writer's room where they sit. That's true. And like throw the spaghetti at the wall until something sticks, you know. The cats are not helpful around here. (laughs) No. (laughs) And that's why, you know, they go to a, a studio and they sit in a conference room and I don't know. I think that's how it works. That's how it worked in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. He goes up and like his first question is, he asks Ruth what color his tie is. He's wearing a blue tie. And she says, I I don't know, I'm colorblind. And so then he delivers his thesis statement, which is Bennett Kimball was colorblind. Georgia Gilbert was colorblind as well. And they had a kid. And any child of two colorblind parents is colorblind because colorblindness in women is so rare yes they're both um what's the recessive that's what i'm looking for yes and she's the even more recessive instead of the red green colorblind she's blue yellow colorblind which is like a one in 10 million or whatever 
So like the odds that this is their daughter is very high. Add to the fact that she was adopted from Nevada when she was two. Uh, yeah, you know. She works helping place foster children. Exactly. You know, he says there, it's no coincidence that you have your job. Is that she's like, no. So, you know, they're going to do a DNA test, but it's pretty clear that she is Bennett Kimball's rightful heir. He's figured it out. Yeah. And, and his whole demeanor as Papadopoulos, like just, just drops away and it's great. And he's, he's very caring towards her as well as when he's doing this and, and her reactions, uh, like a lot of the, secondary characters in leverage she's just like a local portland actress and she's so good um and she's she was in two episodes of veronica mars oh excellent yes i was like what episodes i'm like looking it up and she was like the receptionist at the neptune grand um but she just the way she like really subtly reacts to to what he's telling her and it's really great and then the commentary they were saying you know it's all about the these reactions and how they they love working with the local actors in Portland and they think it's really awesome because they get all of this like one-on-one guidance from Timothy Hutton because oh. he was like helping her in between the scenes, like giving her motivation and telling her how she should do it. And it's just like, Oh, here's this Academy award winning actor. And he's yeah. just giving you tips and you're this, you know, 28 year old girl who's like, okay, that's all right. job training. Yes. It's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. And, you know, Tara's over the moon and he asks, he asks, what is something like, you know, do you, do you still think the law is the the best recourse? She's like, oh, even more than ever. And I think you learned something too, Mr. Ford. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? He just kind of walks away. <laughs> and she walks out too. And like, Ruth is still sitting in the, in the witness stand. I'm like, like everybody <laughs> Court adjourn. I was waiting for the judge to stand up and do what I used to do when I was a teacher. <laughs> you do not leave. I tell you when to leave. You know. I don't care that the bell rang. Yeah, the I did not dismiss you. You, I dismiss you. <laughs> oh, I think every teacher has said that. Yes, I love it. I've said it way too many times. Yeah. So then they, uh, you know, we have our wrap up scene back in the bar with the clients, and they say, you know whatever you're gonna get all the money and and she's like why why didn't he tell me you know I didn't get to know him as my dad and he said well what was your first reaction like what would you have said if he showed up and said I'm your father she said I would have been where have you been? angry I would have said where what took you so long yeah but instead she got to know him as this kind and giving and generous man and and she's so sweet she's like I'm mean, that's the that's the you know, Bennett Kimball that I want to know. And I'm like, man, you're a better person than I am. I know. Because <laughs> I want, I would keep all the money for myself. No, I would give some <laughs> to my charity, but I would definitely be keeping some of it. <laughs> and, um, and I wouldn't be pissed. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a Scorpio through and through. Like I'd, I'd be like, no, maybe when I'm on my deathbed, I'll forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> but not yet. And she was young. Cause I, I, did the math if she was born in 1980 and this was 2009 she was like 20 28 she's mm-hmm. a little baby and she'd already started a non-profit and i felt i know i've not like, done enough with my life <laughs> but you know i don't know 
I have a master's degree. That's what I'll tell myself. There you go. It's fine. It's fine. That and she's fictional. That's what I always tell myself. That's true. She's <laughs> fictional. And in the first scene, she dressed like a little old lady. That outfit she was wearing was very frumpy. That was not 28-year-old gear. That was Exactly. And so later when they dropped the date, her her clothes in the later uh, scenes were a little more appropriate, age-appropriate. I'm uh, going to say current. No, but less like weird lumpy cardigan thing. She had cute hair, though. I'll give her that. This is very true. But then I kept thinking, because when he sees her in the hospital bed, and he he's in, he's in the hospital bed, oh, yeah. and she's wearing the old lady clothes, and he's calling her Gigi, I'm like, does she really look like her stripper mother at this moment? No, I know. I mean, should she be wearing blue eyeshadow? And, <laughs> and then I'm trying to imagine what strippers look like in, like, 1979, 1980. And I... Oh, there was blue eyeshadow involved. This oh, much I know. Yes. And, like, lots of hairspray. Like, just oh, teased. Yes. Just teased. Maybe feathered. Oh. Yeah. Could be. Oh, no. Okay. Having some horrible, horrible Poor visions. For Georgia. <laughs> Poor Georgia Gilbert. And then she died of cancer. Like... I know. 1985 yeah. i'm like that was awfully convenient <laughs> like real fast like they didn't even let her live a couple years i hope she spent that fifty thousand. uh well yes yeah that might have been how she got cancer i don't know what she was doing with fifty thousand uh, dollars that's true um just ruining her immune system because i think a stripper in nevada probably get into a lot of trouble uh, so they, you know, immunized just going to to Las Vegas. So, <laughs> like, what what can you give me? I'm going to Las Vegas. Just, just I need on. all the shots. I'm going to Pop Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shot. I need the hepatitis booster. Let's go. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> so we wrap up that that scene with sweet sweet Ruth, and she's going off. Oh, and. Um, I didn't mention the, or how Nate knew that she was colorblind is that she'd brought blue irises to take to Kimball's grave and they were not. They were not. They were like they white were and yellow. And Nate's like, mm-hmm, okay. okay. And they, they, you know, flash back to it. But in that scene, like they didn't edit that scene at all. Like that's actually how we reacted in real time. Mm-hmm. And because it was so deftly added in there, like you, you don't really I like go, yeah. oh, Oh, those aren't blue. What the hell? And and then later when they're talking about Georgia Gilbert, Hardison drops in. She's colorblind. She's five six. She wears yep. a size six. You don't even really think about it. And it's written like you hear it and you see it. But and there's so much other information around it that that's what distracts you. That's so good. That's the that's the mystery. Like you need it to be, you need it to be there. Like that you could have solved it. But you don't. Exactly. Ugh, ugh, it's masterful. Good job, Christiani. And yeah, so Nate asks, oh, where's your lawyer? I thought she'd be here to celebrate with you. And she says, it's not my lawyer. She said she was with you. <laughs> and then the whole, the whole team goes from like, yay, we did a good job. What? What? Do you, who, what? And they go upstairs and there's Tara Cole. I love that she used her own name. Yeah. She's so blatant and, you know, she looks completely different. She's got leather boots on. She's got the smoky eye. Mm-hmm. She's got a tank top on. She could like freaking be Laura Croft. 
Uh, she's got these arms like she, she just beat you up. And she says, you know, um, and, and Hardison or Elliot's ready to like throw down. He's ready to fight her. He's like, who are you? Because <laughs> she's just sitting in their house. She just duped all of them. And she reveals that she's a friend of Sophie's. And she, you know, is paying her back for a favor. And this was her audition. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, she's a letter from Sophie. Uh, and, you know, Nate's like, it is Sophie. And she's, Parker says something Parkery. What is it she says? You're so adorable. Yeah, she's like, she was right about you. You're so adorable. And she's like, hey, what? No. <laughs> Don't call me adorable. No one gets to call me adorable, but Sophie. Uh, and then she's like, okay, well, I'll see y'all later. And then Hardison realizes that she's given them her invoice. She's <laughs> like, yeah, this is my invoice. I expect to get paid. This is my job. I'm not a candy striper. Yeah, she's not like them. She's not chasing this high of being a do-gooder. She's not a Robin Hood. Like, this is legit how she makes her living. And and then she kind of just like leaves them with that, which is so great. And it's the first episode in a long time that hasn't been ended by Nate or Sophie. I think. Well, I don't remember very well. I, I keep saying that I'm going to keep a list and I never go back and check. I remember when, when I watched it the first time though, thinking that was a nice twist, a con on the cons. Mm-hmm. It's good. It really well, because that's something that they always have to contend with. And they mention this a lot in the commentaries and in the blogs, you know, these people are the best at what they do. So if you just let them be the best, like that's boring, you have to up the stakes and, and this is one way you can do it is to introduce somebody who's better at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, we had the, the two live crew job where mm-hmm. they knew that there was another team and that they were just as good, if not better than them, or like evenly matched. And, and that's totally different than having no idea that you were being snowed, you know, which is so good. So good. Cause they were still great. They did their job. Mm-hmm. But because they were so focused on their job, they missed something that was right under their noses. Which was a nice... Well, yeah. and too, then it brings Sophie back in. Mm-hmm. In a way. Yeah. And it gives them a good, like, a substitute. Like, we, mm-hmm. we're not going to like Jerry Ryan's character as much as we like Sophie because she's not Sophie. But we already know that she is... She's worthy to be on Team Leverage. Well, the masterful stroke is Sophie sent her. Yes. At least in that particular universe, as opposed to um, a lot of times on TV shows where they just shoehorn someone in and you're like, oh, that's supposed to be the Sophie character. That's yeah. not going to work. We're all going to resist that immediately. But Sophie sent her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is Sophie's blessing. And they said that in the commentary as well. Uh, and they cited the Mary Tyler Moore show, actually. Oh. When they first did the pilot of the Mary Tyler Moore show and they showed it to test audiences, the audience hated mm-hmm. the character of Rhoda. Which, oh, okay. is, which is weird to me because I love Rhoda. Uh, but then they redid it. And the only thing that they changed was the landlady's daughter gave Rhoda a hug. Like they didn't change anything else. She just gave her a hug. And then the audiences loved her. And it was like, you had to have a character that you're adding in. You had to have them be accepted by somebody else. Like implicitly, you know, accepted by somebody else. And then that changes how you see that person completely. I'm like, that's, that's mind-blowing. 
Because if we had just been introduced to her at the beginning, I think even if she had said, oh, Sophie sent me. Well, and if and we hadn't had the letter from her. Essentially, she was auditioning for us, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if she fooled them and she fooled us. Then we're like more likely to say, OK, you can hang with the leverage crew for a while. <laughs> for now. Well, and she is so good because that's so different from every character that you see Jerry Ryan playing. Because mm-hmm. usually she's like this badass bitch. And, you know, she walks in and she's like a fresh face, very, very, you know, fresh face, very little makeup. And she's super, she's super earnest and genuine. And like every moment you don't see her break, like you don't see beneath that terrible lawyer character. She comes out from, you know, uh, tricking Blanchard and she's like giddy and she like mm-hmm. you know did I do it right or do we want him to be a gambling man and you you never see that break where you see like in the prison Hardison and Elliot when Orson's getting patted down before they find the shiv Hardison and Elliot like look at each other and like straight up wink at each other like yeah we got it you know because they're not gifted grifters and no. she is like you don't see her break at all and it's really good and I love that I love being tricked like that because <laughs> I knew I knew the whole time that she was, you know, and I watched the episode three times and the whole time I'm just like, yes, look, she's so good at being good. <laughs> she's so good at being good and being good at this. Um, it's a lot of goods. A lot of good. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts on the episode? Um, no, I don't think so. Mainly it was just a, Oh gee, I should go back and watch rewatch this again because <laughs> it's it's so enjoyable. And um I think I remember uh Dean Devlin saying once upon a time that he wanted something that wasn't so serious. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's a perfect antidote for if you get to watching too much, like Jessica Jones, for example, we're watching it. I love it. It's it's gritty. And there are lots of shows even more gritty than that that I can't even. I just yeah. Out of no. so it's it's just pleasant, and yet it gives my mind something to do with the mystery. Mm-hmm. And I love those characters. I mean, it was just pleasant. It's good. Okay, well, that means you have to come back and watch another episode and and come talk about it again. I'll twist my arm. <laughs> uh, I know they're so good. It, it we've talked about it in other episodes. The it's a it is an antidote to other shows that are grittier and darker, but it's also like an antidote to our life, right? Especially at this moment. Uh, I think this is a, just a timeless thing to this show because in any era that you watch it, there are going to be bad guys who are not getting what they deserve. Um, mm-hmm. But especially today, yes. <laughs> 2018, uh, it is so cathartic and it's so it's such it's a relief perfect. to see these people be you know, carted off screaming, but they're thieves, you know, they're crooks. And Greek, I'm Aristotle. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Run along. Exactly. And, you know, nobody's going to listen to them and all of their crazy talk, (laughs) spilling scot-free wrong, uh, you know, and they they get their comeuppance. And that is something that we really want. (laughs) Good to see, for good to triumph over evil, Mm -hmm. even if it's only in... 40 minutes. Yeah. Feels so important. I know. And by people who are pretty. Like, that's even better. And witty. (laughs) Yes. Thanks, writers. But yeah, they're pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> All right. Okay. Are you ready for a heist light? Uh, I was trying to think of one. How recent are you talking? Um, oh, it doesn't have to be like ripped from the headlines today, but, um, I usually do like within the last couple months or something, but I've got one. If you, if you want to think on it right. and if you don't have one, that's fine too. And I'll think. Okay. A classic, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no classics. Great. Um, I just have like the article pulled up. So, Oh, hang on. Breaking news. Michael Flynn has offered substantial assistance into Russia investigation. Special counselor, counsel Robert Mueller. Are the leverage crew responsible for this too? <laughs> I know. I was like, USA Today, don't let me down. What's happening? All right. This is published at 849. Mueller probe. Michael Flynn has offered substantial assistance to investigation. No prison time recommended. Is that, is that all? That better be a lot of assistance. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. The court documents indicated that Flynn had met with investigators 19 times during the past year in which he has been cooperating with Mueller's team on multiple investigations, including the special counsel's inquiry into possible coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia. References to other investigations were redacted from the court documents, along with details about how Flynn's cooperation has contributed to the probes. Nevertheless, prosecutors were effusive in their praise of Flynn's early and wide-ranging cooperation. Interesting. Effusive. The defendant's decision to plead <laughs> guilty and cooperate likely affected the decisions of related first-hand witnesses to be forthcoming with the special counsel's office and cooperate, Mueller's team said in Tuesday's late-evening court filing. In recommending the lightest possible sentence... Prosecutors noted Flynn's past exemplary service. The defendant's record of political and public service distinguished him from every other person who has been charged as part of the special counsel's investigation. Well, that's true. It does give him, like, eh. yeah. Prosecutor said, however, senior government leaders should be held to the highest standards. The defendant's extensive government service should be should have made him particularly aware of the harm caused by providing false information to the government, as well as the rules governing work performed on behalf of a foreign government. Wow. Okay. The memo is the first in a series of developments expected over the coming weeks in Mueller's ongoing investigation. All right. Okay. Well, that's that's about it. More will be dissected about that tomorrow, I am sure. All right, so back to our actual high slate. Okay, so I've seen this story making the rounds. It went it went really viral, and then uh, it showed up again on something that I was reading, mm -hmm. and I got interested. And then today, when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, "Holy!" Last time I worked at looked at it, I was like, "Oh, this is in the Houston area because this guy goes to the University of Houston." And then I looked at it tonight, and I was like. This took place in Pearland, which is the town that I grew up in. Oh, uh, so back in uh, July, uh, this uh, college age student, this college age student in Pearland, was eating at a McDonald's, and he noticed with all of the like, you know, very diverse, beautiful pe people in the the pictures on the walls that none of them were Asian. <laughs> so. Uh, and, and the first way that I saw this, it was kind of cited as there was this empty wall at my McDonald's. So my friend and I made this poster and it made it, we made it look like it was part of this ad campaign, ad campaign. And we pulled this heist to put it up in, in the, the McDonald's and they did it su successfully. Uh, but then looking into it more, it was actually more like one, it was a prank and a heist, but it was more to make this point about. Uh, how Asians are not depicted in, uh, yes. in you know, advertising and marketing. So they put it up 
I had no idea that this took place in Pearland. And I like looked up, I was like, I wonder which, which McDonald's it's in. And it's not there anymore. But um, it, it went unnoticed for a while. Uh, to, to put it up, he apparently found a uh, McDonald's t-shirt, like a like their, one of their polos. Okay. And he had a little uh, name tag made that said that he was, yes. you know, that he... That's but he was he was part of their like internal decorating committee or something and they like came in and they they stuck it up with adhesive so it didn't you know mess up the walls or anything and they you know they got away with it and they would like take pictures and he was afraid that his parents would be upset so the the guy's names are Jev Maravilla, Maravilla and Christian Toledo and his parents actually thought it was hilarious and they came in and took a picture with it too <laughs> but I just love it. Um, McDonald's found out about it. They were on the Ellen DeGeneres show uh, and she gave them $25,000 courtesy of McDonald's. Wow. And, and um, they're going to be in an upcoming marketing campaign as part of McDonald's commitment to diversity. So I'm just like, that's like the most pure heist I've ever heard of. (laughs) Like we just put a picture up. I, it's kind of like Banksy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> only like this is literally a picture of my face so you know who i am um and it's just so cute i'm like i, I love it. reading about that one i didn't know the, all of the details though that's really neat that it's right yeah there, though. yeah it's like, like blowing my mind and i don't live far from there now so i'm like that's what and uh so the poster is no longer hanging there it did hang for over 50 days but uh they remodeled and redecorated that uh, McDonald's they took it down but they um it went up for auction uh for a fundraiser to uh to benefit the Ronald McDonald house oh nice so I'm like that's like this story just gets better and better like one I was just like all right I love like a prank I love a prank with good graphic design <laughs> I love oh this is about diversity oh they were on Ellen oh like McDonald's is good natured prank he's gonna add more yes it's it's beautiful. Like in every way, this is perfect. And if anything comes to light that this is bad, I don't want to know. I know, right? Like, please don't pop this bubble. I need this. We deserve this. <laughs> so yeah, and I, I am so angry that I didn't know that it was, that it was in Pearland. So that you could go find it. I know, but it's gone now. This article was from the 20th of September. Oh, wow. Sad. <laughs> but that's so cool. Okay, I'm going to go back a little bit, and I'm, okay. gonna, I'm not going to name names because this is when I was um, actually a teacher. Ooh, but this is a real heist that you that happened to you. Kinda, sorta. It's not, <gasps> I don't know that it's a heist per se, but I think you will find um, there was some cunning involved, and um, it was also a prank. All right, so I taught Spanish for eight years because that's my what mom you- taught Spanish. Okay. Yeah, that's what you do when you're an English major. You <laughs> yeah. So, um, and this is toward the end. I don't. I don't think I was. Oh yeah, I remember what room I was in. So it wasn't my last year, but I was getting there. Um, and I had my Spanish three students doing skits in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the groups they start doing their skit, and I had read it, but they had added extra lines. <laughs> Which is dangerous, very mm-hmm. dangerous. But in the course of the skit, they take this pinata that had been on top of my storage cabinet and beat the snot out of it. 
to make it more entertaining, it was a SpongeBob pinata. Okay. They beat the snot out of this thing. And it was one of those with the pull strings. So the reason why it was still up there is we had already pulled all the strings and the candy had come out. And I just popped SpongeBob back up there. I'm like, yeah. decoration. It's yeah. Decorations for a Spanish class. I'm yeah. not an interior decorator. Look <laughs> So, and I'm sitting here looking at them. I mean, eyes wide, in shock. I cannot believe these are high schoolers. <laughs> I cannot believe that y'all destroyed my personal property. And in I'm front of me. To, I'm about to say this. I'm about to launch into it. When all of a sudden they reach, um, they open the classroom door and pull in a brand new SpongeBob. <laughs> the whole thing was just a ruse. They beat up the pinata. Did you look at the look on my face? And then a brand new one. <laughs> that's great you're like you're you're like pulling out the pink slips you're gonna start oh, some yeah, kids in school suspension stuff like that all the time i had the little hotel bell that you know mm-hmm. to your attention ding 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 whatever yeah well um the year after that probably inspired from the kids who beat <laughs> um a group of kids who were making a video instead of doing a skit in front of the class they stole my bell and I'm like, excuse y'all, where is my bell? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it once they did the skit where they were using it as a doorbell, which I was <laughs> falling out of my chair laughing because <laughs> instead of actually ringing any of the doors in this video, ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> Just like really bad Foley artists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and once, once they finished the video, then they presented my bell back to me. <laughs> Good. I'm glad these kids are conniving, but also, you know, bring things back when they're done with them. Yeah, they were- you, they could have asked. They could have said, "Oh, Miss, we need this for our project," and you'd have been like, "Okay." They could have asked, but yeah, I, I really think they were inspired by the uh, SpongeBob beaters. <laughs> the SpongeBob beaters. Yeah, go. That's Rumors. that's the new pink ladies. <laughs> is the SpongeBob beaters? And it's just that sounds dirty. Oh no. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Oh, man. I love it. All right. Well, Sally, thank you so much for being on this episode. And um, I've already, you know, gotten an agreement out of you to come back. So I'm not even going to ask you. Just tell me what episode you want to come back for. Okay. Uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Do you have, I mean, I know you do, but do you have anything you want to plug? You. <laughs> I'm so glad you reminded me because I'm so awful at reminding myself to do these things. No, I'm so excited. Actually, I was like, it's December and we're going to have Sally on and this is perfect. Yes. I actually have a Christmas book out. My very Yay. first Christmas book. It is called Oh My Stars. And you can even find it in Target. I saw your picture. And I was like, oh, that's so, that's, that's real. I'm still you waiting to do a picture of like kitty litter, toilet paper. <laughs> like, like seven fun. things from the impulse buy section. And yeah, a book. pack of underwear. All right. Else, you know. I'll do it. I'll do it. I ordered it from my library, but I don't have my own copy. So I'll have to go do that for you. Thank you. All right. So this is the book where I had turned in an entire proposal for, well, I was, I was turning in an option book. And so bless her heart, the one before it, I mean, I had done the character sketches. I had done the synopsis. I'd done the first three chapters. I send it in. They're like, I like it. My editor says, can you write me a Christmas book? And I'm like, Sure, I'll write a Christmas. I like Christmas. Yay, let's write a Christmas book. It's still Christmas. No. Um, And he says, 
And, and I go back to doing whatever I was doing and I get an email. It's like, what's it about? What do you mean? What's it about? I just, I just said I'd write it. I, and a smarter person would be like, like, it's been 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been 10 minutes. A smarter person would probably say, you know, I'll get back to you in a day or two. Let me, Mm -hmm. let me think it out. No, not me. No, no. I must jump on this opportunity. (laughs) I'm like, uh, it's about a drive-through nativity and they find a baby in the manger and there are llamas. And I get it <laughs> done. You get a you get an attachment to an email, and there's your contract, here's your money, and you're like, oh God, I gotta write it. Well, you know the contract and the money went that quick. I got it done. Yeah. I'm like, all right. So it is my um my it starts off with, and so a decree went out from my mother that I would be playing Mary in the, the <laughs> drive-through nativity, whether I liked it or not. That's basically how it starts out. So oh, my great. <laughs> is uh-huh. a romance writer. Mm-hmm. She's not been doing much of the writing because widowed. And my Joseph is a pediatrician who's kind of hit a rough spot in Memphis, and he's come home to connect with his father, his gruff father that he actually grew up with two maiden aunts instead. Um, and then they do indeed find a baby, a mystery baby. And he's a pediatrician. Yeah. This is perfect. Yeah. And through a glitch because the, my romance writer had been in the system, had been a foster parent before with her husband through like this whole little series of events. She ends up with the baby and then pediatrician Joseph ends up being as they say on the back of the book, mighty handy. <laughs> Which I was like, that's kind of something I might say, but kind of not. But let's roll with it. Mighty sure, handy. Sure. Um, and there really are llamas. I love it. And one of them is named for Deanna. One of them is named for Deanna Rayburn. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, there were times when I was writing that book and it was, it was um, uh, I guess I was writing it mostly in 2017. Mm-hmm. Or I would have started it not long. I started it not long after the the 2016 election because mm-hmm. Bless Her Heart came out that year. Um, or no, Bless Her Heart came out. I don't know. what What is life? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, it was, <laughs> I was having a hard time writing this book. I mean, and and it, it's, and that llama, the llama really <laughs> through. I mean, the llama has attitude. Uh, yeah, I think we could learn a lot from llamas. Yeah. And then I got to go research goats because that's the other thing is I have this character in book two whose name is Goat Cheese. And what? It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. My series is set. In and I'll let me back up a bit. My father has friends who actually have names like Prince and Rabbit and Frog. Like I'm writing given them. names, like on their birth certificates. Those are, all, those are all nicknames, fortunately. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Those are all nicknames. Prince and Frog uh, and Rabbit. And Rabbit. By the way, Frog does excellent body work. He really fixed my car up after that deer hit it. But that's neither here nor there. Oh my god, a deer can screw up your car. Oh, my like life. Rory was not messing around when she was freaking out that she got hit by a deer. And yeah. they were all like, You hit a deer? No. That rarely happens. Scary. Yeah. The deer hit me, by the way. I'm still, the deer hit me. Anyway, yeah. so um, I have this character and he just ends up being goat cheese. And 
And I'm like, why is his name Goat Cheese? And of course, I start coming up with a backstory because this, that's how things work in my mind. Things just yeah. come out. And then I'm like, why is this the way it is? And I realized that what it is, is he had started doing a goat dairy farm back in, I think it was the 80s. I had to do research and everything. Uh-huh. And all of his friends are like, you're such an idiot. You're never going to make any money off goat cheese. So they just start calling him Goat Cheese. <laughs> and lo and behold, this this character who's not in much of anything suddenly comes back and in, in book five mm-hmm. as the father of the pediatrician oh my gosh and he's goat cheese uh-huh yeah so his father is goat cheese and that meant that he had to go it was fun i made my city boy go milk the goats it was great <laughs> but because my city boy went to milk the goats that meant i got to go do research at a goat dairy farm yes this was fun um, unfortunately we're not Facebook living because last time I told the story about the, the, the goat teats, then we got kicked <laughs> off and I don't know for sure that it's because of- <laughs> I'll just mark this podcast as explicit and it's fine. Hey, that's like, I, I dropped the F-bomb enough. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this woman, I'm sitting here and I'm taking notes and I'm like, what makes a good dairy goat and this, that, and the other. And she legit takes my hand. <laughs> And the goat's being milked, and she places it in that spot where the udder attaches to the stomach. Uh-huh. It's like, you feel this? That's good udder attachment. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> so she takes my hand back, <laughs> and she takes me over to another goat. Did she show you bad udder attachment? Because that's yeah, what I was going to ask. She did. So she takes my hand again. <laughs> and she puts it there. She's like, see, that's bad udder, att- udder attachment. Uh-huh. Okay. I see exactly what you mean. (laughs) See, anyway. That's wonderful because that was legitimately going to be my question. Like if I had been in that situation, I've been like, well, this is good, but what's bad? And Well, I was going to ask because I mean, I don't mind touching the goat's udders. No. Poor goat. (laughs) I don't mind feeling up a goat's udders, Sally. (laughs) Great. It's going to be, I don't mind filling up with goat's udders, the Sally Kilpatrick story. <laughs> Name your sex tape. <laughs> That's the closest to a sex tape any of y'all ever going to get from me. <laughs> uh, Sally I never get to use that one. That's so great. Goat's udders. <laughs> I grew up on a farm. Can you tell? <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. My dad would have loved if I'd grown up on a farm, but no. Um, we keep trying to get him to get goats, though. He's currently just enamored of his chickens. Oh, I don't like chickens as much. They 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 love their chickens. Uh, my parents moved from Pearland, kind of suburbia, and then they like bought nine acres outside of Austin. Okay. And so they like my dad. My dad grew up like in the wilds of the Florida Panhandle, and he like grew up on a shrimp boat. Like he is a, like a good old boy. And so he's so psyched to be out living in nature. They designed and built a straw bale house oh. that's like twice the size of the house that I grew up in. And he just, he loves it. He shoots and there's deer uh-huh. and he oh. has like beehives and he has the chickens. So he like, he's like, oh, I got to go check on my girls. And I have two sisters <laughs> and I'm like, who's there? And he's like, oh no, the bees and the chickens. And I'm like, they're not your girls. We are your girls. And he's like, and these these bees, Christina, they're your legacy. Oh my gosh. 
you're gonna inherit them one day and i'm like dad what it's because i'm the only one who will because i think i need that (laughs) they are your legacy i might need that later feel free feel free thank you (laughs) no my dad has cows but he's like well if i'm 43 then he's 76 Mm -hmm. like daddy cows they're big he already had one but him. Oh, like, yeah, one of the bulls. One of not, not the current one, not the one before, but the one before that. Mm-hmm. That one's a little cray cray. Yeah, charged the tractor. Um, it butted him. Oh, that's terrifying. Oh yeah, I'm like, can we goats? They're kind of like cows. They're smaller. They're like portable. Yes, <laughs> they're so cute too. Yes, they can't uh-huh. knock you down. Really, does he? Like breed them and sell them, or does he keep them as pets? Um, he's got. I mean, he breeds them and he sells them. But let's be honest, they're really pets. Yeah, there's not a lot of money in it. Yeah, my parents' neighbor has like he has the lot next to them, and he doesn't live there. It's just for his cows, and he just comes every day and like feeds them hay. And and if they have you know if they have more than one um male, he sells those, but he keeps the rest of them. Well, he's going to have a cow problem then. It's good. That's a yeah. lot of cows. It's a lot. I mean, I really think his favorite thing to do is to find some scraggly little bull and then somehow make a monster bull out of it. That's that's what I've witnessed over the years. Like a Franken bull? No, 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 <laughs> no. More like he'll go over somewhere and somebody will have some little runt and they'll be like, oh, that bull's not any good. And he'll take him on into the pasture and he'll he- show them. Feed him well and talk to him. I don't know. You probably sing songs to them when I'm not around. I don't know. I My, my favorite one, though, was... Back He's just to- doing a Disney montage, and it's like, I'll make a man out of you, yeah. and then, like, go I'll the distance. Yeah. I'll make a bull out yes. of you. But no, so- one of them that really cracked me up um, was when we got the money back from the little tax whatever after September 11th. So he took his money... And he went and bought a bull. And because it was from the government, he decided to name the bull George W. <laughs> and George W., bless his heart, was the skinniest, scrawniest looking thing you have ever seen in your life when he brought him home. <laughs> but then, like, he can't keep his head up. The horns are too heavy. <laughs> but he took this poor little bull and then next thing i know there's george w and he's filled out and he's big old manly bull and he's walking with his head held high and (laughs) like that's right little mama's i'm the bull now (laughs) the bull is back in town his name is george w he's he's helping bulls get their groove back he's like a terry mcmillan of bulls (laughs) Yes. No, he's like the Fab Five. There you go. Like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. But with bulls. Queer Eye for the Bovine. <laughs> okay. We're going to have to quit. We're not going to be able to talk that way. No. <laughs> That's too good. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to like be thinking about your dad. Okay. Like taking his bulls to the spa and taking good care of them, <laughs> teaching them how to love themselves. Yes. 
Yes, he probably does. He probably takes mirrors out to them when I'm not around. Does the spirit smiley? You're good enough. You're smart enough. You is good. People like you. You is. What is it? You is kind. You is good. Oh Oh my gosh. And he's like, and now we're going to make hamburgers out of you. Um, Yeah, he's not very sentimental. No. My work here is done. (laughs) It's time for you to move on, bull. <laughs> you've become all that you could beef yeah. and <laughs> what was the other thing oh you can find me at sallykilpatrick.com and on twitter at super writer mom yes and she's great you should definitely follow her on twitter Aww, i love her thanks. yes um and i'm christina and you can find me on twitter at librarian like christina and yeah the next episode is the runway job and uh, Jerry Ryan's character, Tara Cole, will be back. And I'm there will be models. So you sh- somebody should definitely come talk to me about that. Absolutely. All right. I yeah. recommend it. Yes. I recommend every episode of the show. Every time I, fin- I finish one, I'm like, God, is that the show so good? I should do a podcast. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, and I can't wait to have you back on. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Thanks. See you on the Twitters. (laughs) Yes.